0: Hello and welcome to the Edify podcast. This is designed for you, preacher, teacher, shepherd, deacon of the kingdom of God, for your edification, for your uplifting, for your ministry. Dear Edify, I'm in a preaching slump. It seems that every week, no matter what the passage of scripture is that I'm working from, my sermon always sounds the same, three points in a poem. I don't know if my congregation has grown tired of my preaching, but I'm wearied by it. It seems like every book I preach, whether it's 2 Corinthians or 2 Chronicles, my sermons give the people a few major points and some tired general application. What should I do? How do you preach expository sermons from, say, Daniel or Ruth without sounding moralistic or preaching as if it were Colossians or Romans? Thus far, my congregation has been long-suffering, but I know it must sound like, quote, the same old, same old. Every Lord's Day. Any advice on how to keep keep it fresh? How to preach historical narrative differently than I do the pastoral epistles? I would appreciate your sage wisdom, and I know my congregation would as well. Blessings in Christ, board with myself. Well, <laughs> to say you would appreciate sage wisdom, I would appreciate sage wisdom. But uh, let's let's address the dear board with myself. I can certainly relate. Uh, to your concern, every old preacher can, every everybody who's been in this for a minute can feel as though um, the same way that you do. So an old antidote tells us of a preacher who repeated the same sermon for three Sundays in a row, fearing a fourth inter- iteration, um, the elders asked him for an explanation, and so the preacher said, well, when you finish doing what this text requires, I'll move on to the next. Uh, that laugh may cut a bit too close you know, to the bone for listeners who sense that our sermon's you know, sound all the same. Those who study um denominations or they preach on denominations or they preach on Calvinistic tendencies or whatever it may be, you know, uh some of our sermons can can say that where we where we preach what's not the truth. We don't we may not preach the truth, we may preach what's not the truth, and we're more known for what we're not for. But you know as well as I do, um sometimes we we don't do that as much, but we'll preach on the three Ms, you know uh concerns of the church or morals marriage and money you know or we break from those themes we might go to you know um related to the 3ms the 3ps you know politics pro life and, and propagation you know um, and, and propagation you, you may address it in ways of um you know missions or discipleship or evangelism now these studies are certainly worth you know um scriptural address but but they obviously don't cover the scope of scripture's subjects uh, or the concerns of of Christian brothers and sisters across our nation, especially in America, uh, and 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 especially in the world, you know, for places that have different demographics or circumstances or priorities. Remember one time when I went to the Philippines in 2014, all of a sudden my Southern vernacular and wit and sayings meant nothing to the Filipinos. So that's you know we have to be relatable to people. You know, if if familiar themes are constantly breached. And they will vary from church to church. The preacher may be addressing issues most perceived, you know, uh, what's most perceived as priorities. Priorities of the people rather than priorities of Scripture. Um, You know, you think about uh, whether it be the Restoration Movement or the Reformation Movement or, you know, the 300s. And we're looking at the Catholic Movement and all that sort of stuff. The universal church agreeing for the sake of agreeing. You know, Constantinople trying to unify the, the countries and so uh, give it one religion. Don't care what it looks like. Just do it all together. Uh, there can be there can be times in every generation where we address the necessities and capacities of hearers. So we cannot we cannot settle for addressing only subjects that our people have a ready capacity to hear. You know, we're charged by by Paul to preach what's in season and out of season, um, or find what's easy to address. You know, so if we're thinking about you know these sorts of things. What to preach, how to preach, this sort of thing. We we probably should ask some questions, uh, think about it in, in a couple couple of different ways, which we're going to do in this this episode. How do we really expand our, our subject zones? You know, without it being some sort of marketing gimmick, and that that can be what it looked like. You can see some people reaching way too far, way too far, and trying to get into the entertainment business, and you know that sort of thing. And we don't want to do that, but we do want to be relatable. We must, and we must be, and reliable at the same time. So let's look at this first aspect about expanding your subject variety. You've got to exegete your, te- your text, yes, but you also have to exegete your listeners. you got to know your listeners. you got to know what they need, you know, and, and if you're not the the kind of preacher to get out and do that, ask your shepherds, and I pray God that they're shepherds, that they're not just business table elders. So the expositor's ethic is to say what the text says. You and I know that, and and that automatically expands our subject and our categories and and especially if we preach on it consecutively, you know, if we're covering text or we're covering books or subjects as they come through, you know, that, that happens. And, and we don't pick the subjects, God does. John A. Broadus, he's the father of what's often called modern expository preaching. He wisely noted one time um, that preaching through books of the Bible uh, necessarily leads to preaching subjects that not otherwise considered by the preacher. So consecutive preaching, it brings, it brings, um, it does this naturally. It brings subjects before the congregation that that you may not otherwise address or may not be tolerated by the listeners. You know, if a subject seems to be chosen topically by the preacher, somebody's going to say, well, you picked on me. You knew that I was going through this and this, that, and the other, which if I do preach on something, uh, I will ask the person who conveyed something to me, uh, I'll say, what do you think about me preaching a lesson on this? Do you think it'd be beneficial? I, I don't want to pick on you, but there's other people who don't have the confidence or the bravery, or who, who aren't willing to admit what you're admitting. Would you would you think it'd be beneficial for the church to to hear a lesson on this? You know, and and that's that's the route that I would go, not to quote pick on people, but to say, hey, there's got to be somebody else. Let's let's help them. And so, you know, expo- expository preaching. Uh, doesn't rule out the wisdom of topical sermons um, or a series that addresses particular needs of the church you know, or the community. The uh, the expositor who insists on plowing through all 66 chapters of Isaiah despite the community crisis, despite racial tendencies or, or tension in the world or political things in the world uh, or family needs or a congregation that is worn out of, of themes addressed by the prophet, um, you know, isn't expounding the congregation as well as the text. He may be expounding the the text, but not the congregation. So we have to exegete the people. We have to know the people. And, And if we know the people, that will expand our subject matter. Preachers are obligated to exegete listeners as well as the text. And let me give you some reasons. Number one, let's ask this question. What do they need to hear? What do these people actually need to hear? Number two, what are they capable of hearing? Because that matters. There were there were times where Jesus did not speak on something. I mean, he told this to the disciples. John recorded it. He said, I got much to say to you, but you can't bear it now. So there's there's some people who just can't hear things at, at this point in time. That's okay. Be patient. But then number three, how long are they going to be here? So failure to do this, this you know, quote, listener exegesis, um, and to do so to say, hey, I prioritize the Scripture and I prioritize the text, what that does is it, is it discloses a misunderstanding of, of pulpit ministry responsibility. We don't serve the principles of our text by speaking in ways that the text cannot reasonably be heard or that or that do not allow, you know, an appropriate variety of text to be heard. So moving on, I would say we need to look forward and backward. You know, if you're in a if you're in a mobile community, you know, if you're in churches that are dominated by college students or military personnel, or when I was in uh, when I was in Memphis, Tennessee, during during my time at the Memphis School of Preaching, I preached at Collierville. Well, there were a lot of folks who worked for FedEx contractually uh, through FedEx, and they were only going to be there for four or five, six years maybe. So that played a part in what I preached on. You know, uh, there are some preachers who, especially young guys, they get right out of school, they go to a local church, and what do they preach on? The basics. And when they leave after three or four years, somebody else comes in. What do they preach on? The basics, and and no wonder the church is a babe right now because all we ever preached on was basics. You and I need to stick to long expository sermons from books from books of the Bible that that they're not expansive in their subject coverage, um. And uh, it 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 doesn't really when we do that it doesn't hinder the necessary life preparation. It is possible though to be a sound expositor by dealing with particular topics you know, marriage, racism, civility, career choice, stewardship, etc., in an expository way where you go through verse by verse and you let this text teach you what God has to say about this particular topic, you know, rather than automatically making every sermon series cover, you know, an entire book. So whether we're considering what subjects a sermon, you know, sermon series should cover or what book to expound or, you know, wise preachers look backwards and then look forward, they're all about considering subjects that they've covered in recent months or years, and also subjects that they should be covered uh, that should be covered to equip every listener uh, for the complexities and challenges of of future godly living. so many preachers can i know i do find it you know necessary and, and helpful uh, to assess the variety of the needs and the appropriateness of subjects by asking you know trusted listeners what what they what they think would help the congregation in 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 the season that they're in. You know, involving more people can add insight into what subjects are needed. Um, it, it can also indicate those most helpful in the past. You know, you you can you can confess your ego if you need to right now, um, and others diplomacy, uh, and and think well, well that I need to be hesitant and I need to, I need to be be worried about what I'm preaching and I don't really need to ask anybody else. But you think about that for a second. Think about that for a second if you don't ever ask anybody what what should you preach on is it really the elders who are doing the, the feeding through you? they're the ones who are charged with feeding and they're charged with feeding through you It would behoove you to ask your elders well what do y'all think I personally in November um every year I try to uh at least in November plan my 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 year worth of sermons and topics and I'll go to the elders and I'll say, what do you think and this is what I'm thinking and what are you thinking this is a the theme I'm thinking what are you thinking you know what do y'all what do you see that the church needs? Asking those questions and, and being, you know, looking forward and looking backward. You know, what did we talk a lot about last year? Was it good for us? Was it not good? Should we move on? Should we continue this thought? You know, so listening to other people can help you plan and plan. Uh, and, and their insight come, come more naturally uh, without as much danger. You know, they're not, they're not thinking of um, scared nerves or et cetera. So listener engagement can also temper, it can sharpen us, it can expand the way that, that you and I, you know, address subjects. You know, many experienced preachers, you know, advise inviting, you know, other other preachers of various ages and backgrounds and struggles, you know, to their kitchen table or their coffee shop or their retreat and ask for, you know, emphasis and, and ask for help or You know, many messages that you want to improve on and and things that you want to consider or responses of wounds or restraint or, or, you know, being thoughtful or empathetic or whatever. So look forward and backward and do so with other people. Number three, expand structure variety, which is to say, you know, you may have a, a list of series, a list of series of messages in the life. Let's just say of David. And somebody might say, you know, how do you do that? How do you do these? How do you preach from historical biographies of the Bible? You know, I only preach the the epistles of the New Testament, or I'll preach out of the Psalms, and and I'll go to the Old Testament and, and talk about legalism and, you know, this, that, and the other. You know, I never was taught how to preach expository sermons from Bible stories. And so you need to be genre-sensitive, keeping that in mind. But But when you hear something like that, that can shock you. And and don't ever be surprised at the level of ignorance in people. I don't mean that in a bad way, but just in general. Uh, don't don't overassume for them. You know, so realistically, three quarters of the Bible is historical narrative. You know how how can how can people, you know, exclude so much of the Bible and think that that they're preaching the whole council of God? You know, and you may think, well, you're ready to judge this guy's you know short sightedness. How can you preach you know biographies and Stories and all this sort of stuff and but you gotta consider how teaching you know especially such as your own may may contribute to limiting the text that that we would preach or not preach so you know we we rightly want to teach people that an expository sermon gets its topic and its main points and its sub points from the text um but some people have, have only been taught how to do it from a didactic passage or, you know, preach from a topic or something along those lines. And so when you, when you have such passages or paragraphs or, or or thoughts or theology, you know, that really really divide into a local major outline, uh, or subordinate issues per se, um, such traditional exposition comes naturally um to what's considered a west western linear thinking. But some people they're not able to do that. They they haven't been prepared to see how truth principles are related through the plot and character development in Bible narratives, and and so you know uh, literary devices and, and images, echoes in, in biblical poetry. I love I love a good picture. I love a a good piece of artwork. That's just me personally. So you know wherever you are, wherever you're preaching and how you're preaching, you need to you need to open up and be be genre sensitive. Expand your structure a little bit. Think about those things. You know, our our goal in discerning the way each passage of our genre of scripture communicates biblical truth, and and we do that in order to to proclaim something. You know, this is the truth the pa- this passage teaches. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying through this passage. Not I think, not my opinion, but what is what has been exegeted, what has ex- been exposed there. You know, this is how I know the Bible writer is trying to communicate this truth. You know, or, or Something along those lines, so the more our sermon structure allows the thought and structure of the text to show and have the effect the the original author intended, the more variety will be in our sermons and the more comfort um, we will have in our minds to to know we're covering we're preaching as God God has preached through his Bible, and the more the more that the more we do that, the more they will conform to the th- to the text purposes, so sensitivity to the text nature. It may mean that the sermon will develop more through mention of events with chronological development or through motives of plot with, you know, hey, ironic or surprise development, you know, or through echoes of words and and threads of themes and and all that sort of stuff that's worded in main points. The truths of of each text must eventually be made plain. Literally, that's, that's what the... The Puritan preachers were called. They were called plain preachers because they wanted only to preach the text and not Calvin and not Reformation, etc. So I, I I I lie myself pretty pretty alongside, if you will, with a lot of Puritan preachers. They were called plain preachers for that reason. They don't want they don't want doctrine of the world. Just give them the text, preach the text, and so that's that's what we want to do, and and reveal what's in the text. We don't. We ascertain Bible authority, and that's a big word, which means we deduce from Scripture what God has to say. So, we know this this sensitivity needs to be there in regards to genre, but it also needs to be in regards to congregation. You know, once we become open to moving beyond cookie cutter sermons and cookie cutter PowerPoints, and you know, and those kind of messages, the three M's the three P's, or you know, uh, alliterate everything. You know, we 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 can begin to recognize. Why so many of our sermons sound the exact same because that's how we're preparing them, the exact same. you know it may be good sometimes just to just to open the Bible and read read a whole book, you know, and then say, you know expound it, if you will, and and show where it is and show what it means to our life today. You know the traditional deductive structure lends itself to a to a starting a starting point that may that may be a problem than, you know, identifying and proving a solution. The problem-to-solution approach um, mm. appeals to the academic mind, but it sets up an unfortunate dynamic with listeners if it's a, you know, preacher's-only style. Week in and week out of declarations of, quote, you have a problem and I have a solution. Not only can that that seem like the same old song, but, but also can set up a, a patronizing or even, you know, antagonistic dynamic between preacher and the listener. If anything, you need to say, we have a problem. We need to do this, or we should do this, or we should be about this. So the more time and energy the preacher spends in pressing or or proving the problem each week, the likelier it is that that negative dynamics are going to develop. Spiritual conviction is a necessary feature of biblical preaching. A steady drumbeat of pulpit condemnation is said. So when we can very you know, overall approaches and impressions by recognizing that many texts and through throughout the Gospels, overall Gospel message at least, that's more about declaring a solution than proving a problem. We move toward a more edifying stance and more structural possibilities when we specify, you know, a problem or a need that our, that our people can identify with, um, especially early on in the message, you know, usually in the introduction, where you bring up an issue, you bring up something like that, and so, and then you go on to use the bulk of the message to show how the text identifies either a plan or for handling the problem, or the advantages, or you know, of implementing such a plan. So, that those are good. Now, not only do those and these, I guess, um, need a plan, and and need a plan, plan advantage, but approaches add variety. Uh, to our structural toolkit. They create more of a, a good news atmosphere, you know, in the sermon, and especially in the sermon ecology, if you will, created by the preacher. So I want to suggest four ways that you can be sensitive to your congregation. Let me get a swig of water. Number one, determine significance as well as meaning. Commitment to communicating a text is inspired um and a text inspired purpose requires that we determine a text significance before we preach its- before we preach its content. You know as well as I do there are people out there who are who call themselves expositors and are often experts at preaching quote truth without reason and we do a data dump we will throw a thousand verses at them, and our people wonder why they appear bored or burdened or overwhelmed or consumed. We do that because we have forgotten that we are not merely ministers of information, but ministers of transformation. If the truths we declare have no apparent purpose other than to inform, then we should not be surprised that our sermons are of little interest to those whose goal is not to make a better grade on the theology test that never comes. Preaching effectiveness grows when when preachers recognize that our people don't really know the meaning of a text if they don't know its significance for their lives bare cognitive registration of biblical facts and theological truths is not the goal of preaching design um and it's not the goal of preaching design to enable God's people to love him with all their heart, soul, mind and strength Luke 10:27 so that whether they eat or drink whatever they do will, will all be to the glory of the Lord verse Corinthians 10:31 so you need to determine significance as well as meaning number 2 discern burden as well as facts, we discern the purpose of Scripture by identifying the burden of the text. Before we before we explain the content of the text, we must not fall into what what some friends call factoid preaching, where we, we determine why a text was written before we recite the facts that it contains. If we spend the effort to ascertain the specific purpose of which the Holy Spirit inspired a particular text for fallen creatures in a fallen world, which is me and you in this place that we're in, and what we do is we indicate how that purpose applies to our lives. Then we'll advance the, that that text goals. We also address the long the longing of God's people for us to move beyond tired cliches and personal hobby horses in our sermons. We determine the burden of a text by first determining the reason it was written and the original audience. Then we need to identify how our people are sharp, or or how our people share. Um, that, that fallen condition, if you will, you know, in heart or in circumstance or both. Um, we do this because Scripture itself tells us that it, that it its contents are not random and merely destructive, but are intended to be, you know, applied to our, our present situation, Romans fifteen four. So once we've identified that mutual, you know, I guess fallen condition is the term, or propensity to sin, then all of us will sin, and all of us have come short. And all of us with an able mind will be uh, needing the the gospel of Jesus because of our personal choosing to sin. Then, then we've prepared to show the significance of the text to our people's lives. The more insightful and specific the preacher is about the, the mutual condition of the original scripture, and especially the original scriptural audience. And the modern day church significance um and the and the leaders are in the Bible will come alive to people, it will come alive to people further the more the more specific and personal our focus on our propensity to sin or our nature per se uh is the more pointed the more pointed and powerful our application will be. We need to keep that in mind then number number three, I'll say. Identify specifics as well as principles. It's difficult to overestimate the importance of identi- identifying the fallen condition being addressed by the hope of the Bible, the Bible text and biblical text. The reason that we're sitting in a church that is that they they hope the preacher can explain how the gospel has significance for their needs and their hurts. When we When we demonstrate that we understand that hope and that Scripture addresses it, it it boredens people into anticipation, maybe is the word. Um and a callous commitment to endure another sermon because and that becomes eagerness to hear God's word. So let me let me rephrase that last part. When we demonstrate that we understand that hope and, and that scripture addresses it, boredom turns into anticipation. And it turns calloused commitment um, to, to sincere commitment. And they become eager to hear God's word. Eagerness is going to wane, however. And so if the application remains, you know, abstract or merely theoretical, generic application of go and do likewise, per se, or read your Bible, pray more, go to church more, all those sorts of things, are another cause of sermons that sound too similar to inspire. Variety and variety worthy of the significance of, of the text that we're preaching identifies the situations to which they apply today. So find things that apply today. Now the original text was written to a different people for for a different reason. You need to find out what that reason is. So this requires more than regurgitating a commentary and calling it a sermon. It's it's not that. The text supplies the truth and we are to apply, but our our interaction with God's people provides a situational relevance and that makes those truths you know, real and applicable. And we should not be ashamed to acknowledge that that new preachers are at a disadvantage in applying text to the struggles and pains and challenges of messy lives and that dominate most of our congregations. Dan Winkler says 80 plus percent of our folks are hurting. Longer experience will add depth, it'll add variety and reality to our application. But, but still, we should not resign ourselves to cliche applications at any stage in our ministry. You know that. The fastest way to move sermons into the crucibles of life is first to discern the significance of the truth the biblical text teaches, and then to enter congregational life through the who door, if you will. You need to be asking in your study, who needs to hear this? Then in the sermon, do, do not identify those people, but identify their situations and address this passage. It's good for us. It's good for us to do that and be about that. And this approach, you know, not only keeps sermons from from ending with with legalistic limits or mislabeled, if you will, uh, applications, but also it actually enables people to see how Scripture applies to their situation and demonstrates how it helps them in their difficulties. Then and only then we truly shepherd people in our sermons rather than burdening them with greater loads of performance and driven duties. Let me talk about this last point. Preach the fullness of the gospel. Burdens will remain. And, and if we don't demonstrate from the text how God enables his people to know his love and to do what he requires, the antidote to, to tired legalism is not weekly you know, repetition of, quote, this is what God requires, but you can't do it. So trust in grace and forgiveness, end quote, what so many people are preaching. The gospel is more than a message of forgiveness. It's It's a promise that, Greater is he that is in you than, than he that is in the world, first John four four. We've got to be clear that, that, that the grace pervading all scripture culminates in the Christ who now indwells his people to ignite love for him and to enable you know their victories over sin. I'm thinking John fourteen four through verse six, I'm thinking Romans six, 6 and Romans six fourteen, second Corinthians four fourteen. Complaints that gospel-centered preaching is the same week in and week out or every week are only, are only true when preachers have not discovered the varieties of ways that God provides for people who cannot provide for themselves to enable their victories over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Few critics of Christ-centered messages say, every week I preach the same message. Law, law, law. They recognize that there are too many aspects of the law of God for such a charge to stand. Sadly, they fail to see that the grace of God is rich and, and and varied. If we're going to take care and disclose specific burdens of each individual or each individual about biblical text we preach and the specific aspect of grace that relates and relieves that burden, um, then, then we will preach with variety and power and gospel. Um and gospel goodness that God in, in intends. So be encouraged, brethren. I know this is almost at 30 minutes now, but be encouraged. Ask God to give you awareness. Get out and get to know your church or community. Uh, listen to them. You'll be able to pick up things um, and have some mercy. Um, be encouraged. Ask God to give you awareness and that the mercy of his word each new day um, and that both you and your preaching is good for your church.